0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 8. I mentioned in the last episode that the entire section of the book running from chapter 7, verse 8, through to chapter 11, verse 10, is a definite section, which has as its central theme the great power confrontation between God and Pharaoh. In the last half of chapter 7, we saw a personal encounter between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and his advisors, and also the first of the general plagues to fall upon the land of Egypt. In chapter 8, we will encounter plagues two through four. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Now let's just pause here for a second and notice something. Let's notice that freedom from Pharaoh was not freedom unto complete and total autonomy. God wasn't setting them free so that they could be completely independent people. No, he was setting them free from Pharaoh so that they could serve and worship him. There is no such thing as absolute freedom in the Bible, not in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament either. In Romans 6, the Apostle Paul made that very clear. Righteousness, close quote, Romans 6, 16 to 18. So salvation in the New Testament is from the cruel master of sin to the life-giving mastery of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul always referred to himself as a slave of Christ. Jesus was his new master now. And that was something to be celebrated because Jesus is wise and good and righteous. Salvation in the Bible is always from and to, and so it is here. The Exodus is about setting the Israelites free from Pharaoh so that they can worship and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. We jump back into the story at verse 2. God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me. Verse 2, but if you refuse to let them go... Behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So here we assume that Moses went to Pharaoh and delivered the demands and the accompanying warnings, and Pharaoh refused to let the people go, and thus Aaron performed the actions commanded by God, thereby releasing the plague. The key thing to notice here is that this plague will affect all Egyptians equally, Pharaoh and his servants. No Egyptian will be exempt Although the wording leads us to assume that it will not affect the Israelites. The Israelites are never mentioned as being the subject of these plagues and sometimes are said to be explicitly exempt. But the sense is that these are all targeted plagues, targeted upon the Egyptians. The other thing to notice here is that the magicians are able to imitate this plague, at least to some degree. This again, gives Pharaoh some psychological cover, as it were. He feels justified in ignoring the demands of Yahweh, since his magicians are able to mimic the signs and manifestations that Yahweh's delegates are performing. Now, we should probably just take a moment here and reflect upon the nature of these various plagues. Some folks will say, and some folks have said, that what we have here is really just a series of events, severe events to be sure, but natural events associated with the annual inundation of the Nile. Perhaps there had been a heavy rain in the upper Nile region, and that had dislodged a very great quantity of red clay that had turned the lower Nile a dark blood red color. This, in turn, would have killed a great many fish and caused the amphibious creatures like these frogs to leave the river until the water had properly settled. Is that what is going on here? Well, certainly these miracles are connected in some way to natural phenomena. But equally certain is the fact that these events were recognized by all parties as going well beyond what would normally be associated with the natural course of events. These people had seen heavy rainfall before. They had encountered various inundations before. They literally lived and died by the moods and variations of the Nile. But they all understood that what was going on here was supernatural. The Nile didn't just turn red. Water in buckets turned red. That doesn't happen naturally. Likewise, yes, frogs might leave the river if the water was clouded with clay, But if this were an entirely natural phenomenon, we wouldn't expect the frogs to go so far inland and to invade houses and fields and homes and beds and ovens. We would expect them to stay near the river so that they could go back in once the waters had settled. These frogs, however, appear driven by the very hand of God. That's what makes this a supernatural event. So, of course, there are natural features, but also clearly supernatural features. And that's what gave these events such a powerful psychological effect upon Pharaoh and his officials, which we begin to see now, beginning here in verse 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God, the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, He hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh pleads with God through Moses and Aaron to remove the plague of frogs from the land of Egypt. What is interesting about this passage is that Pharaoh is invited to set the specific time at which this would be done. Douglas Stewart comments on this feature of the narrative saying, giving the Egyptian king this power of timing is, from a human point of view, apologetically brilliant on God's part. If the king could say when the frogs would go away, he would personally know that the timing was not due to the simple consequences of natural processes or a fiat of the gods of the Egyptians, but the sovereignty of the God of Israel. Theologically, therefore, this plague was the point by which Pharaoh should have been able to admit that there was a true, powerful God behind the demands voiced by Moses, his refusal to believe even then is a paradigm for all people who, though confronted with the reasonableness of biblical truth, nevertheless refuse to believe by reason of factors other than the believability of the evidence. Now, I mentioned that there are 20 references To Pharaoh's hard heart in this story. This is the sixth of those 20 references. In the first two, God is the cause, but in a predictive sense. He says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart in order to prolong this power encounter. But the text doesn't actually speak about God taking any action on Pharaoh's heart until chapter 9, verse 12. Here, we see that Pharaoh's heart is willfully and culpably stubborn. He has seen evidence. God has graciously given him evidence, and still he will not bow his neck and admit his own mortality. Pharaoh still holds on to his delusion of divinity in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. As Stuart says, that is a paradigm for all human beings who refuse to bow before God as God despite being given plenty of evidence for their own humanity and for God's overwhelming power and majesty. So, Pharaoh will not let the people go. He will not give in. He will not cry uncle. So the plagues and the power encounter must continue. Verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff, and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This third plague involved clouds of gnats or mosquitoes. The Hebrew word for gnat can refer to any sort of small biting insect, but most scholars seem to assume that we are talking about mosquitoes here and that definitely fits the sort of natural and supernatural context that we're looking at. The swamps and streams associated with the Nile were a perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes. But this is clearly something more than a bad mosquito season. This is a supernatural plague. The numbers and the instant appearance of these insects all testify to the divine source of this situation. Here also we are told that the magicians were not able to duplicate this miracle in any way. And that's a good reminder for us that false powers and deceiving spirits tend to deal in low-level spiritual deception, The television faith healers deal in sore necks and stiff elbows, not cancer and spina bifida. This plague is clearly beyond the reach of their deceiving powers. And they're forced to admit that this is the very finger of God. But still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your house. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So here we have a fourth plague, and this time it is stated explicitly that the plague will not fall on the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews lived. Obviously, that would be quite remarkable for a plague of flies to somehow avoid one particular region. That would further mark this event off as supernatural in character. Here also we begin to see the first cracks in Pharaoh's stubborn resistance. In verse 25, he proposes a a sacrifice, a holiday you might say, just not at Mount Sinai, but right here at home in Egypt. Then in verse 28, he sweetens the offer, saying that they can go a little ways out into the wilderness, but definitely not all the way to Sinai. Moses doesn't agree to these conditions, but he does promise to pray for the removal of the plague, which, once affected, does not lead to any softening on Pharaoh's part. Rather, as we've come to expect, Pharaoh hardened his heart and reneged on his previous concessions. Again, God told Moses to expect this. He knew Pharaoh's heart, and he was sovereign over Pharaoh's heart. He knew that this power encounter was not going to end until Pharaoh was ready to completely and entirely surrender to every demand and requirement of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do, We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word.